0: Thank you very much for your kind words, Pastor Benjamin. You know, when people see me, they don't usually think of me as an all-American. In my office, they have a lot of fun with this. They had a play once with the receptionist answering the phone. And the receptionist said, So you want to talk with the president? His name is Pastor Louis. Yes, that's a French pronunciation, but he's not French. He was from Sri Lanka, but he's really from India, not from Sri Lanka. But really, he's an American. So now that you know that I have a very mixed identity, I am standing before you here so honored and so blessed, so humbled to be standing in the pulpit of my former classmate, Pastor Dwight Nelson. We both graduated together from Southern Adventist University, back then known as Southern Missionary College, and I am so honored to be here. Actually, I I, I told this to the last service, the last time I was here on this platform was 35 years ago when I was getting my diploma. And so uh, it is truly a special honor to be worshiping with you here this morning. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we begin this service? Father in heaven, Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Anoint the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart that this people that have come together to worship you on your Sabbath day will be drawn closer to Jesus and that when they leave this place, the lives of those that they touch will realize that they have been with Jesus. That's the prayer of my heart in Jesus' name. Amen. He was a very conservative bishop who founded the United Theological Seminary at Dayton, Ohio in 1871. And one day before the turn of the 20th century, this bishop was discussing philosophy with a college professor. Now, the bishop's opinion was echoed in these words, the millennium is at hand. Man has invented everything that can be invented. As evidence, he cited the fact that everything about nature had already been discovered and that all useful inventions had already been made. The professor politely told the bishop that that he was mistaken. Why, why, bishop, he said, in a few years we'll be able to fly through the air. What a nonsensical idea, the bishop replied. No, no man will never fly. God will not let him fly. Flight, he assured the professor, was reserved only for the birds and for the angels. Incidentally, those words were spoken by a bishop whose name was Milton Wright. That's spelled W-R-I-G-H-T. Who, by the way, became the father of two sons whose names were Orville and Wilbur. And almost 114 years ago, and just about 900 miles from Berrien Springs, Michigan, on the eastern seaboard of my home state in North Carolina, they invented the airplane and it changed human history. The changes that we have seen and have experienced in the past century alone are truly incredible. The times in which we live are certainly times of change. Everywhere we turn, we see change. But friends... We can be so grateful this Sabbath morning that there are some things that have never changed. The greatest hope of your life this Sabbath morning is that God's faithfulness has never changed. Friends, it was David who proclaimed about the Lord when he said, Your faithfulness endures to all generations in Psalm chapter 119 and verse 90. Even in the midst of the saddest and the worst of times... Jeremiah could look up and, filled with hope and full of assurance, he could say those words that are recorded in the book of Lamentations that we just sang about as we opened our worship service this morning. His compassions fail not, they are new every morning. So great is your faithfulness. During my high school years, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. And as a student at Greater Baltimore Academy, I really enjoyed studying science. Chemistry was one of my favorite subjects. And you know, one of the simplest molecules that is so essential to life is H2O, commonly known to all of us as water. However, you can work in a laboratory all day, those letters representing two gases, hydrogen and oxygen, and you can mix those two gases together and get absolutely no reaction, not even a drop of water. But if you add a small amount of platinum, things happen very, very quickly. A chemical change begins to occur and the hydrogen and oxygen atoms unite to form a new molecule that we call H2O and little droplets of water begin to appear. Friends, the spiritual parallel is clear. Just as a catalyst as platinum is needed to prompt the bonding of two hydrogen atoms with one oxygen atom to form one molecule of water. It is faithfulness that allows us to experience a growth and a deeper relationship with Christ. Like marriage, faithfulness is based upon a loving relationship. It is our faithfulness to Christ and his faithfulness to us that enables us to appreciate the chemistry of spiritual change. The good news is that God's faithfulness has never depended upon the faithfulness of his children. He is faithful even when we aren't. And when we lack courage, he doesn't. Our hope in God's faithfulness is not based on blind optimism. You can be optimistic and think that everything is going to get better. The weather, the economy, your grades, the list can go on and on. Your marriage, perhaps the relationship with a significant other. However, a true sense of hope is grounded in God's promises of the past that he will fulfill what he has said because he is faithful and true. It is grounded in God's steadfastness and God's dependability. Robert Robinson was once a very wild youth who grew up in England and he came to the Lord while listening to a sermon by George Whitefield, one of the founding preachers of the evangelical movement. He ended up becoming a pastor himself and was so inspired to write the words of a hymn entitled, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, in the year 1757. Later in life, however, sadly, he wandered away from the Lord and felt that he just could not return back to the Lord. After reading the book Pilgrim's Progress, he was uh, with a tinge of sadness and regret speaking with a young woman traveling on a stagecoach through England. She then referenced the words of a hymn that had meant so much to her life. Come thou fount of every blessing. And she repeated those words to him. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger. Interposed... His precious blood. Choking with emotion, Mr. Robinson replied, Madam, Madam, I am that poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the same feelings that I had back then. And then she gently reminded him with the words of assurance from the last verse of his own song, Sir those streams of mercy are still flowing. And it is believed that from that moment he was able to restore his relationship with the Lord. On the battlefield, where years ago they had suffered defeat, Israel pled with God for help. And he granted them a miraculous victory, and we find the story recorded for us in 1 Samuel, the 7th chapter. Their priest and their leader, Samuel, had set up a monument to remind them of God's strong hand in their triumph. And Samuel named the pillar Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Friends, this stone pillar called God's people to recall, and recall often, every time they saw it, the time when God turned events from bad to blessed. Every time an Israelite saw the Ebenezer stone, they remembered God's help in the past. God's help relied on for the present moment of that day and God's assurance for every tomorrow of their future. The Ebenezer was a picture of the Lord's readiness to hear their cries and to save them. It served to remind them of where to turn for their strength and power and whom to thank for their deliverance. Unlike the commemorative pillar erected by Samuel, your, Ebenezer, your stone of hope and remembrance in God's faithfulness doesn't necessarily require a hammer or a chisel. Just as the Ebenezer stone called God's people to remember, the psalmists also built a similar monument with these words. They reached back into the history of God's people and named the marvelous things that God had done, the many, many ways that God had delivered them from their enemies. And all the times that God had forgiven them for their disobedience. The reminders are very, very specific. Didn't God lead you out of bondage in Egypt? Didn't he feed you in the desert and keep doing so even though you grumbled and complained all the time? Didn't he forgive your repeated idolatry and rampant rebelliousness? Didn't God give your army victory over victory over your enemies? And if he did so much more for you in the times past, can't you depend upon him to do as much if not even more for you today? Why are you worrying about tomorrow anyway? And won't he still be there for you? hearing your pleas for help and acting on your behalf. I will utter hidden things from on old. The psalmist said, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, to help you remember, to remind you of God's power, to give you trust and confidence in him, to teach you to learn and to lean on him. To be your Ebenezer for as long as you live on this side of heaven. No, unlike the commemorative pillar erected by Samuel, your Ebenezer, your stone of help requires neither a hammer nor a chisel, nor does it require you to sit down with a pen and put down eloquent words as the psalmist did either. Consider, this Sabbath morning, the Ebenezer of a song. He was a sixth generation son of David and the fourth king of Judah. Yet in a time of needless wandering and terrible apostasy, King Jehoshaphat took a stand of faithfulness according to Second Chronicles, the 17th chapter, verse 4, where he sought the Lord, the God of his father, and walked in his commandments despite his loyalty and his faithfulness King Jehoshaphat faced a monumental challenge in chapter 20 of 2nd Chronicles this king was shaken to the core one morning as his intelligence sources came running to him with horrifying news that a multitude was coming against him from beyond the sea from Syria and they are in Hazazib Damar, which is in Gedi This meant this massive enemy coalition was only about 15 miles south of Jerusalem on the western shores of the Dead Sea. Jehoshaphat's life and his entire kingdom were literally at the brink of extinction. Talk about a reason to panic as the leader of God's people. What did he do? What would you do if you heard someone threatening news that your future and perhaps your life was at stake? This godly king did the right thing by calling a national prayer meeting and encouraging the people to trust God in the face of their overwhelming crisis. And then in verse 5, we see him walking into the temple and placing his dilemma before the Lord. Hear the cry of his heart in verse 12. In verse 12, as he pleads his case, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. And God answers his prayer through a humble temple assistant by the name of Jahaziel, who is prompted by the Holy Spirit to remind the people in verse 15 with this declaration. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the battle is not yours. It is God's. And he continues those words of encouragement and reassurance in verse 17 by telling them to position themselves, to stand still, and to see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. In verse 18 of that same chapter, the king bows his face to the ground as the Levites resoundingly praise the God of Israel. The next morning, they follow the word of Jahaziel. They go out to face their enemy. With confidence and courage, King Jehoshaphat now boldly makes this proclamation as we see in verse 20. Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and you shall prosper. The king consults with the people and organizes a choir who would boldly march forward with praise for the beauty of God's holy presence. And the choir simply sang these words, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Now, without having to raise a single sword or a single spear, they just sang. And that day, the Lord fought their battle for them. And we read the record of that in verses 22 and 23. It tells us that as the enemies of God's people advanced to utterly destroy them, that the choir kept on singing that morning. And they ended up destroying each other. That morning, they had raised their Ebenezer in a song of victory. Consider the Ebenezer of a symbol. As a young boy, I grew up as the son of missionary teachers from India who chose to serve the Lord on the island of Ceylon, La- And, uh, you know, it's just a teardrop-shaped island about 30 miles off the coast of India. In Sri Lanka... I was surrounded by the culture and worship of Buddhism. Among the earliest and common symbols of Buddhism are the Dharma wheel, the Bodhi tree, with the distinctively shaped leaves of this tree, and the lotus flower. Every religion and religious persuasion has some kind of a symbol that points them back to that religion and their faith. In my former ancestral home of India, Hinduism is the predominant religious persuasion. The Sanskrit letters for the sacred Hindu om or aum is used as the mother of all mantras for their four stages of consciousness. The religion of Islam doesn't really claim to have an official symbol, although some claim that the crescent moon and the star are the Islamic Islamic symbols for their faith since it became the emblem of the Ottoman Empire in the 19th century and then continued on after the 19th century as part of their religious faith. The shield of David, or what we commonly know as the star of David, was most frequently associated with Judaism. One of the oldest symbols of the Jewish faith, however, was the menorah, a seven-branch candlestick that was used in their sanctuary and worship services. What about us? What about Christianity? For us, it's a cross, a cruel instrument of torture and shame and embarrassment. It stands alone as the symbol that marks the faith of every Christian. One of the most recognizable images in the United States is a Hollywood sign in Southern California. People from all over the globe come to Tinseltown, to gaze at the cement footprints of all the movie stars and perhaps catch a glimpse of all the celebrities who might pass by. It's hard for these visitors to miss the large sign anchored in the foothills nearby. Less well-known, however, in the Hollywood hills is another easily recognized symbol, one with eternal significance. It's known as the Hollywood Pilgrimage Monument. This 32-foot cross also looks out over the city. The cross was placed there in memory of a lady by the name of Christine Wetherill Stevenson, a wealthy heiress who in the 1920s established the Pilgrimage Theater, now known as the John Anson Ford Theater. The site originally served as a venue for the pilgrimage play. It was a drama on the life of Christ. The two icons showcase an interesting contrast. Movies, good and bad, will come and go. Their entertainment value, artistic contributions, and relevance are temporary at best. The cross, however, reminds us of a drama of eternal scope. The work of Christ is a story of a loving God who pursues us and invites us to accept his offer of complete forgiveness. The high drama of Jesus' death is rooted in history. His resurrection conquered death and has an eternal impact on all of us. The cross. The cross will never lose its significance or its meaning and power. Paul was very clear on this when he reminded us in Galatians, the sixth chapter and verse 14 May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I carry a coin purse. Actually, that slide came up a little bit too soon here. But I carry a little coin purse in my, in my pocket. Every night when I go to bed, I put everything out, my wallet, my watch, my keys. I can find everything. But this coin purse goes with me everywhere I go. It's, uh, it's my security blanket because it, uh, it has my change in it. And I, uh, I like to have my change in a coin purse. I don't know if you've ever seen anything like this. People who are not in my generation, they look and say, what on earth is that thing? And I say, it's a coin purse. And they say, that's pretty cool. But in that coin purse also is a little tiny metal cross. You see, I've carried it in there for probably over 20 years. In my Bible is a marker that came with that little metal cross that I've carried for so long. And the marker tells me this every time I open up my Bible each morning. I carry a cross in my pocket a simple reminder to me of the fact that I am a Christian no matter where I may be this uh, little cross is not magic it's not a good luck charm it isn't meant to protect me from every harm it's not an identification for all the world to see it's simply an understanding between my savior and me When I put my hand in my pocket to bring out a coin or a key, the cross is there to remind me of the price that he paid for me. It reminds me, too, to be thankful for my blessings day by day and to strive to serve him better in all that I do and say. It's also a daily reminder of the peace and comfort that I share with all who know my master and give themselves to his care. So, I carry a cross in my pocket, reminding no one else but me that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. If only I'll let him be. In the form of a cross, your Ebenezer stands as a constant reminder that God has given you the victory of all victories, that through Jesus Christ, he has made you victorious over the eternal effects of sin, winning for you the promise of eternal life with him. His cross, His stone of help for you, assures you that just as your sins and mine of the past have been forgiven completely, so our sins of today and tomorrow will be forgiven in the same way. Consider an Ebenezer as a story in your life. I'm truly grateful to have my wife here with me today. We've been married for many years. I think I'm going to keep her around for another 44 at least. I hope through all eternity. You know, when we were just a newly married couple back in the 70s, remember those good old days with long sideburns and stuff like that? That was wonderful stuff. We made our first home in Fort Myers, Florida. And after we'd been married a couple of years, we had hoped and prayed that the Lord would bless us with a child. But after going through the heartbreaking disappointment and tears of losing two children through miscarriages, Carol became pregnant for the third time. Unfortunately, complications once again brought some very anxious moments to our heart. And as the situation became such a risk factor for her to continue her work as a nurse her doctor placed her on bed rest, which extended from days into weeks and on into months. Eventually, the hospital where she worked suggested that she may need to take an undetermined medical leave of absence from her employment until she was ready to resume her responsibilities at the hospital. However, we would have to pay the medical insurance premiums in order for her to remain on their insurance program. Because we were on two separate medical coverage plans and with the anticipation of the medical challenges and expenses that were before us, we could not jeopardize losing our coverage. As a young working couple, with each of us making a rather minimal income, it took both of our paychecks to care for all the expenses that were part of adding to and managing a relatively new household. And as the months passed by, I began to realize that without Carol's paycheck, I was having a struggle keeping up with bills. I started falling behind, especially with our newest expense of keeping up with monthly medical insurance premiums that were now due to the hospital. One evening, as we sat at the breakfast table, I had my checkbook out there with all of our bills, and I told Carol I was now two months behind on making those insurance premiums, and I simply did not have enough to make the present payment. At that moment, a tempting thought came into my mind. I told her, I said, honey, I could, I could withhold my tithe temporarily at least and make a minimal payment so that they won't cancel our coverage. It's kind of like a loan from God. After all, I rationalized and I use the words of Scripture that God already owned the cattle on a thousand hills. Surely he would understand. Surely he didn't need my measly money. Now I have to tell you this. I was brought up by godly parents who had taught me from childhood about the sacredness of tithing and that returning God's tithe demonstrated my faithfulness and trust in him. When I suggested my idea to Carol, I saw great big tears well up in my wife's eyes. And I realized that my thoughts were not being directed by the Holy Spirit. Without saying a word, I got the message very quickly. And I thank God that I was given a gift, the gift of a godly woman who was now my wife. And to resist that temptation, I immediately wrote the first check and said, this goes first in the mail it goes as my trust in God we then prayed together and asked for God's forgiveness for for doubting his provision and his care and we prayed somehow that we would be able to ask the hospital for an extension on my insurance premiums and that the hospital would grant me time to catch up with my payments the next morning I decided to make the trip to the business office at the hospital and Carol was still on her bed rest my hands were shaking. My, my heart was really racing as I stepped up to the window to speak with the person who was now uh, in the same position as the human resource director. I told her of my dilemma, and I, I told her I was basically pleading for their understanding to allow us an extension of time to catch up with these payments. She then asked me to wait just a minute as she had to confer with her supervisor. I thought to myself, well, this is it. I thought of how I didn't want to lose this baby. Nervously, I said, Oh, God, I'm, I'm scared. I'm so scared, and I have no idea what to do. Although it must have just been a few minutes, it seemed like forever. It looked like hours. But the director walked up to the window, and she looked at me, and she said, Mr. Louie, it's all taken care of. Surprised and shocked, I wondered what exactly that meant. Smiling with a nod of approval, she looked at me again, and she then said the hospital administrator had waived all the past charges and was willing to waive any future charges as long as Carol was, was still considered an employee of that hospital. Yes. With the joy of unbelief in what had just happened, I truly walked on cloud nine that morning. God wants to supernaturally intervene in the difficulties and the challenges of our everyday lives, but oh how much he desires for us to demonstrate our faithfulness by walking forward on a path of obedience to his will. Out of our paralysis from pain or fear or disillusionment, he calls us to step forward on a road of faithfulness. He blessed my life by rewarding me with far more than just a paid insurance premium, because a few months later... Carol and I welcomed our first son, who you see on the screen, our son Christopher, who, like me today, is a grateful alumnus of this university. It was God's wisdom that guided young King Solomon to remind us in Proverbs, the third chapter, and verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. We are called to remember that we're just pilgrims on this earth-bound phase of our journey. As a young pioneer and co-founder of the Advent movement, Ellen White, prompted by the power of the Holy Spirit, penned these profound words that many of us are so familiar with. In reviewing our past history, having traveled over every step of advance to our present standing, I can say, praise God, As I see what the Lord has wrought, I am filled with astonishment and with confidence in Christ as our leader. We have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. A friend of mine just sent me last night a passage from Desire of Ages as I was talking to him about my message to you this morning. And I want to share it with you. It's just a wonderful message. It's not on the screen there for you. It just says... In Desire of Ages, page 348, it is for our own benefit to keep every gift of God fresh in our memory. Thus, faith is strengthened to claim and to receive more and more. Your Ebenezer might not be a stone, a psalm, a song, or a symbol. Your Ebenezer may be a story of God's amazing provision at a time when you felt the power of His presence in your life. I challenge you this Sabbath morning to raise your personal Ebenezer and in your mind write the record of your spiritual history. Make your Ebenezer your present day monument to all God has done for you in the past. Your memories will reveal his presence even if you don't recognize it at the time. They will highlight his hand in so much of what may have looked like a coincidence or even just a happy accident. Let these memories from yesterday's past free you as you rely on his strength and courage today and through to every morrow. Sarah Groves is a contemporary Christian singer, record producer, and an author. A few years ago, she composed a very beautiful message in song of God's amazing faithfulness. If you ever get a chance to listen to this song, I encourage you to listen to this song. It will strengthen your faith in God. May the message of this song resound in your heart as you raise your Ebenezer to remind you of every day. Every day of your Father's loving faithfulness to you. Morning by morning, I wake up to find the power and comfort of God's hand in mind. Season by season, I watch him amazed in awe of the mystery of his perfect ways. All I have need of, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. I can't remember a trial or a pain. He did not recycle to bring me gain. I can't remember one single regret in serving God only and trusting his hand. All I have need of, his hand will provide. He's always been faithful to me. This is my anthem. This is my song. The theme of the stories I've heard for so long. God has been faithful. He will be again. His loving compassion, it knows no end. All I have need of, His hand will provide. He's always been faithful. He's always been faithful. He's always been faithful to me. That, my friends, is my Ebenezer. I raise it up to remember he's always been faithful to me.